This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional owners of this country and pay our respects to elders past and present. Welcome to Under One Blue Roof, your podcast exploring the problem of climate-driven homelessness. Here, we ponder some of the big questions about housing, social justice, planetary boundaries and more, and listen to stories from experts in the field who explain just how it's all related. Let's get to know the human face of climate change. Hi, and thanks for joining us under One Blue Roof. I'm your host, Marushka Soldana, a Master of Environment student and social enterprise practitioner. We're discussing innovative models for affordable housing, and to lead us in this conversation is Sophie Zippeke. Sophie is Head of Brand at Assemble. With a diverse background and eight years of experience in cultural and arts strategies, Sophie also holds a Master of Social Design from the Design Academy Eindhoven. Passionate about using design to strategically shift embedded systems, Sophie works across the Assemble portfolio to drive positive change in the development sector. She also edits Assemble Papers, broadcasting ideas for systemic change. On her off days, she loves attending live theatre and music across Melbourne. Sophie, welcome. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Just kicking off because I'm curious, have you seen any good gigs recently? Yes, actually I went to... um... Golden Plains recently and saw Sochi Tirada, which was something close to, I think, what I would consider to be a religious experience. Mm, yep. <laughs> good. Um, and I also saw Krungabin at the Sydney Maya Bowl, which was amazing. And yeah, so. Incredible. There's been a lot of good things happening lately. It feels like Melbourne's cultural sector and scene is bouncing back and there's almost too much to do. It's definitely alive again. You can feel just vibrancy everywhere. No, no matter where you go in the city now, there's things happening out in regional Victoria and I think all around the country. There's this reignited sense of vitality and living again. And I was reflecting on this thriving nature behind places and the process that goes into creating places where people live. And it's a really, really massive undertaking from land sourcing to construction and then, you know, finally handing over the keys to someone who is going to be able to live in in their new home. That's a really beautiful story that development gets to be a part of. And particularly when property is built well, it can positively shape human life. And I think a lot of that is reflected in principles of design and sustainability and how that comes together. So I wanted to start by asking if you can share how you unearthed your love of design, you know, where that passion came from, what sparked that curiosity, and also what comes to mind for you specifically when you think of home. I was thinking about this over the last kind of couple of days, And I think for me, I think love is a strong word. Um, I don't know if I would say that I I love um, design, uh, especially at this stage, at least design that you might 
be that we might what we might define as the built environment or objects, the design of, of physical kind of aspects. But I suppose I'm more interested in the social, economic and sort of geopolitical forces that shape that design and those intangible design systems and policies that design is an outcome of. And that curiosity stems probably out of my master's that I had the great privilege to do it the Design Academy Eindhoven, where I was really pushed to consider everything that lies behind the object, behind the street, behind the the home and behind the building. But yeah, it's probably more of a complex to definition of design than we used to, but um, it can be called sort of strategic design, generative design and system thinking really. And in terms of home... That's a tricky one. I've had the great sort of privilege to have been traveling a lot and living in a lot of different places over the last decade in Europe and now in Australia. I'm originally from Aotearoa, New Zealand. And so I often would say that going back to New Zealand is always kind of coming home. But I was reflecting on that because I only go once a year really it's really about connecting and feeling like I'm belonging in the place that I'm currently in. And that is less to do with the built environment and more to do with seeing my friends in the supermarket on a Sunday afternoon. Or, you know, I was in Fitzroy last night and a friend cycled past and I said, oh my God. And, you know, and then she sat down and we had a drink and it was, I felt like I was part of the place because of that social connection. So I think that idea of social sustainability, being able to have those moments of unexpected connection is really what home kind of means to me. Yeah, connections are so key and relationships with people and just recognising faces and feeling a sense of community, belonging, identity. Like there are so many people that form part of our lives and and that's really the fabric of the place and when it comes to placemaking and community I think that's a lot of what we try to achieve when we're building. Moving on to Assemble and your work there, Assemble's mission is a really bold one to develop new ideas that challenge Australia's housing affordability crisis and create a fairer housing system and that's bold by definition. Because for a long time, the thinking, I think, has either been you can afford to own your own home on the one hand or you can choose to rent. But that's really quite limiting and problematic for so many reasons. And Assemble is deconstructing this one-size-fits-all approach to housing through something really innovative called Assemble Futures. What is Assemble Futures and how does it work? So maybe I'll take a, a sort of step back to talk a little bit about the symbol itself as an organisation. And, and, you know, I think that that's interesting to sort of start this conversation because a symbol as a sort of developer and operator and community operator um, is doing something very different, I think, in the development sector. We have a very multidisciplinary team, so I will just... First of all, say that I'm certainly not an expert in development, 
I don't have a development background or a housing background. And a lot of us that work here don't. Um, there's a lot of expertise, but there's also a lot of different kinds of mindsets and knowledge that is being brought to the company or to the business currently. So, yes, we're trying to challenge kind of the status quo of how housing has been conceived of, I guess, here in Australia or in Australian capital cities in the last sort of years from sort of home ownership to long-term stable rental. So Assemble Futures is our basically an alternative pathway to home ownership whereby our residents sign up and then have stable rent for five years and also a fixed purchase price when they sign up. So they have a five-year sort of lease period and they know exactly what they have to save for to buy their home at the end of that five years. So the reason why that sort of came about was because what had been happening previous to that is that, you know, I think anecdotally everybody knows it's very challenging to save for a deposit for a home ownership if the goalposts keep shifting and moving. So even if you got to that 5%, the market, which is pretty volatile, often meant that, you know, Month to month, something might change. It means that you didn't reach that target. So the model offers really stability of rent, which I acknowledging that we're in a rental crisis currently and it's, you know, it's something that's very um, unique to what we're offering and then sort of that fi- fixed purchase price. And it's a very low risk model because we're not tying our residents and they're not committed to purchase their apartments and they can opt out at any time during that five-year period. So it sort of exists in this space between home ownership and rental. It's just, it's really targeting that really curly part of life where you're just trying to save enough to purchase your first home or sort of get on that I suppose, what you'd call the property ladder, for for want of a better term. Yeah, I've recently had that experience myself being a first home buyer and it's just getting more and more difficult to break in to the market because of what's happening with cost of living and interest rates. Everything is just a little out of control for a lot of people. And it can be really confronting when you look at how much you need to save for a deposit, depending on the income you're earning. Five to 10% can be a really significant amount of money. If it's not home ownership that's available to you, then you're still forking out a lot of money on rental payments. So no matter what situation you're in, it sometimes can feel like lose-lose. What is your view on the current state of housing in Australia? In your view, what kinds of alternative pathways to affordable home ownership do we need? Do we need to see more things like Assemble Futures at scale? You know, I think there's strength in doing things together. I think there's probably a lot of different developers out there doing things differently and we just need to see more more private development sort of supported to do things differently and whether that's policy change, land tax concessions, these kinds of things. You know, Assemble essentially is really targeting this gap in the market that hasn't traditionally been supported by um, private development. So I think, yeah, more support for that will always be really helpful. 
in terms of what is happening in the moment and you know and the Australian housing market of course as I mentioned before we're definitely in the depths of a rental crisis and that's kind of come out of many different factors including return migration lack of supply people moving back to the city um, when they did a tree change during COVID many many different kinds of factors are making it very very difficult so that's kind of currently what's happening at the moment and I'm sure last year if if you're on TikTok, you can see kind of uh, I like stumbled across a few of these um, TikToks the other day of people sort of lining up around the block in Sydney. So we're really seeing, you know, anecdotally, like I've got friends whose rent went up last week by 30% and they're going to have to move. And so it's really real, um, I think, for a lot of us. It's not this sort of intangible thing. The crisis is really happening for a lot of people that are close to us and I think you know I can't as I sort of mentioned I'm not an expert in housing but I do think a lot of that is kind of driven by this shift from a house as a home and a place of shelter to a home being perceived as an asset commodity so that's kind of been entrenched in I think the Australian psyche probably since colonisation is this idea that Home ownership leads to kind of wealth creation and, and stability. I think it is true in some senses, but I think we can also shift to different models and thinking about different ways of living. And actually what does stable housing look like, whether you own it, whether you rent it, whether you have purchased through shared equity, you know, what does living in place over a long period of time look like and how can we make that a possibility for more people and more Australians because we know that living in place over time creates a better environment for work, for children, for education, for many different things. So I'm really interested in this idea of stable housing. In terms of, as I sort of mentioned before, I think we're stronger together. So I think, you know, while assembles, we have this very innovative housing model which is um, Assemble Futures and it's very exciting to start to see the sort of outcomes of that housing model on our residents. We're stronger together so you know just knowledge sharing within the private industry, really important partnerships with other housing organisations and just coming together in any way we can to kind of form a solution. Like not one developer is going to form a solution to the housing crisis. <laughs> so we all need to sort of band together, I think. Collaboration is really key. And this is a problem, you know, housing affordability and mindsets around home ownership and what that means and who that's for. Property is a asset class. There's just so much about the way that our systems currently work that we know needs to change. And definitely collaboration within the development sector, but also across sectors, as you said, with community housing and looking at ways that we can work together and challenge that status quo really is the starting point. I want to move on to embedding social and environmental sustainability in the built environment and why that's important. And I think in development, it can be because it grants a social license to operate. And that's important. That's a really key 
part of the equation, but there's a lot more in that because there's this generative power of development and how it has positive impacts on neighbourhoods when it's done well. So things like promoting justice and reducing poverty and inequality and just creating more opportunities for people to live more sustainably. How do you sustain a design and community philosophy that is not only achievable, but also highly in demand? And I think I've borrowed some words there from Assemble because there's this desire to bring both design and community philosophy and sustainability together in this new way. And I'd just love you to Give us your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a very, I will start by saying it's incredibly challenging. (laughs) So at Assemble, we sort of, I I suppose we work at the intersection of three things really. So good design, environmental sustainability and affordable housing. That trifecta is incredibly challenging to work within. And, you know, you have to constantly be in negotiation to make all of those kinds of things be able to work together, that there's some really interesting things happening at the moment in the impact investment space and also with impact investment kind of looking at things like good ESG. We're now as a developer really looking at how we can really embed that into our practices and make sure that we're doing the best that we can to ensure that our buildings are environmentally sustainable for future generations, but that also we're giving access to people now to that environmental sustainability. But it's certainly not easy. It doesn't sound like an easy feat. And if it was easy, I think it, you know, everyone would do it. That's right. There's something really interesting happening at the moment with superannuation and the movement into providing housing opportunity. Assemble Futures is invested in by Australian Super, which is the biggest superannuation fund in Australia. And they're a cornerstone investor in Assemble. So they have invested in five um, of our Assemble Futures projects across Melbourne. And so with their sort of, I, I suppose, support, we're able to scale and finding that scale means that we're able to create more supply, more opportunities for people to enter into home ownership over time. In turn, we'll support their, you know, retirement and things like that, which is a really big driver for Australian super investing in us. So I think more of that, more sort of, I suppose, lens on sort of impact investing, investing for not only return but also good outcomes is really important and something that, you know, I personally advocate for and that we advocate for as well. Yeah, and if there's the appropriate investment in a model that works, that's where things really start to pick up momentum and you can see social change in action because there's that scale that I I think a lot of organisations that have a great operating model can't necessarily achieve until that level of investment is there and we're seeing it with the super funds that's kicking in and it's a really exciting time I think to be in this space because it might actually make a significant dent in the shortage of affordable housing that 
historically, you know, we've just not been able to catch up and, and I think we're playing that catch up now. So Yeah, and, and Assemble. So we have our Assemble Futures model, which is their pathway to home ownership, but we're also building social and affordable rental housing. And one of those partnerships that we do have for those buildings is with Housing Choices Australia. So we're really trying to work across many different types of methods and models of housing to just increase supply and stability of housing really for, for more people. Mm, yeah, really, really key when you have partners on the ground and, and with other approaches and tools that they use to achieve similar goals and, and doing that together just amplifies your impact. Yeah, certainly. Painting a picture of what an Assemble Futures community is and, and maybe some stories that have come out from a person or perhaps a family who has been housed as a result of the program. Do you mind speaking to that a little bit and, and maybe sharing what success looks like? And probably I should have explained with this at the beginning, but I'm actually head of brand at Assemble, but I'm also in the model. So I live in our first building and at 38 Auburn Marley Street and am at the moment kind of going through the model myself. The reason for that was when I first started out of Assemble, I was actually only editing Assemble papers. So I didn't feel too close to then move into one of the buildings. Yeah. My position's <laughs> changed and actually it's totally fine, but it's just really interesting to be a head of brand and then also a resident. And I also belong to Australian Super. So I really, I'm really um, fully embedded in, in sure and doing. <laughs> and as a sort of, I suppose, resident as well as sort of working for the organisation. And I can tell you anecdotally, like from my perspective, it's been a real life changer because that sort of lease period, we also offer some wraparound support for people so that they can actually know how to save for that deposit. And that speaks to sort of financial coaching and financial literacy of which many people are quite lacking. I think there was a survey that was done recently by the Australian Bureau of Statistics where I think it was something like 97% of Australians under 35 don't know how to manage their finances and wouldn't know where to go to get that knowledge. So we offer a financial coaching program, which going through that really changed my life because before that you know I had I had the great privilege to work in the arts which you know was amazing but probably didn't pay very well (laughs) and came to Australia with very little amount of money um and then had to sort of yeah start from scratch I think really and going through that program has been really amazing for my confidence because we know that there's such a pay wage gap with women with regards to sort of gender, the gender pay gap, and also that women have lower levels of financial literacy across the board in Australia. So, yeah, I feel much more confident. And I think those kind of services that we provide, we also provide sort of bulk buying. So anything to streamline the cost of living as well over that five years is really important to us. We provide also an opt-in embedded energy network where we've gone out and found the most competitive prices so that it is attractive for our residents to opt into green power. And I think, you know, 
if it was made two years ago, I wouldn't have because I wouldn't have thought that I could have actually afforded to be renewable. And, you know, I think that's a lot of the time what people think. Just because I can't afford what someone else might be able to doesn't mean I shouldn't have access to that kind of new way of thinking around energy and sustainability. I have heard many stories from our residents, but one they said being in 38 Albemarle Street, which is our first project, was kind of like being in a hug. The way that the building had been designed and thought through. And so our buildings have really, really important, a couple of really important sort of factors which support the financial model. So I often look at the Assemble Futures as sort of you kind of have the, the financial opportunity and the built environment that supports that. So at Albemarle Street, there's a lot of communal facilities, communal rooms on the ground floor, on the seventh floor, a communal laundry line, a lot of spaces dotted throughout the building that make it maybe more homely or more connected and then also, you know, to encourage people to move out of houses and into apartments actually and kind of support that medium density scale that is going to happen and needs to happen for us to create more housing supply. There's so many elements in that, in how the model works from a lot of different angles. And you mentioned not just financial, but also those supports that help residents to understand financial obligations and literacy a little better because that's a lot of the time really confusing and hard to navigate for anyone I think who's saving or wants to budget better and then you know you also spoke to some of the amenities and the communal facilities that sounds like it makes the place a really warm welcoming hub of just things happening, all good things happening. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, on that kind of, there is no such thing as one community. There's a lot of communities in the building, right, like plural. But I think that we're all kind of, we've been encouraged to connect through the design of the building and that means that we want to stay in place for a long time. So that's contributing also kind of to, you know, people moving into that building and, and having a sense of, stability, feeling like not that they own their homes already, but that they're not going to be kicked out any moment, you know, that they're not going to have to move year to year when the lease ends. I think a lot of relief has been expressed to us that people feel relieved and people feel really excited to buy their homes at the end of that sort of lease period. Yeah, I would say like sort of a lot of care, that the building cares for people, but and then also like a lot of relief that they're not sort of in amongst it in terms of the rental and housing crisis. Mm. And, yeah, there's just so much stress, I think, that a lot of people usually live with and they're like, oh, this is normal for me to feel like at any moment I could lose my lease or you know, I'll need to find a new place to live because that's just on the cards for me. But when you talk about long-term housing as a solution, that's what it should feel like. It should feel supportive and there's a lot that goes into making it so. Yes, definitely. And I think 
having a stable rent, having a fixed rent to pay that you know that you're going to have to pay for a certain period of time that is incredibly supportive and, you know, creates a lot of stability. Yeah, it can't be underestimated as a really good thing and a good outcome. Hoping we can kind of build faster. <laughs> a little more. Challenge. <laughs> and housing is all of those things. It should be, you know, when it's a right and it doesn't matter what your bank account is or, you know, what's going on in the world, you should be able to have access to safe, secure, stable, appropriate housing for your needs. That's just something that everyone deserves because we are human collectively. That's not something you earn. It's something that you should, in theory, just be able to have. And I'm really interested in models like this because it demonstrates that there is a lot of innovation going on in this space and that, you know, one day with changing mindsets and changing the way that we think about investment in this space, we're probably going to see a lot of really positive change and that's really exciting. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a lot of um, really interesting case studies coming out around the world as, as well with different approaches to housing. You know, this model has been innovated upon and adapted from a sort of existing kind of models that you see in North America and, and Northern Europe. So, and places like the UK. So I think it's, you know, it's about what's outside of your current context and seeing how that, that could be adapted back into where you're living. Um, I think our managing director, Chris Staff, was incredibly smart at, at seeing that possibility and, and also kind of really realising that something new had to happen. Mm, yep, certainly a gap that Assemble is leading the charge in filling and it's certainly one that affects so many people that a solution like Build to Rent to Own just makes a lot of sense. I think financially it's super sustainable and it just allows more people to be housed who should be. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Finally, I'm keen to hear about your vision for a sustainable and equitable climate future. And I know that that's a big question in a lot of ways, but I think we've talked a lot about cost of living and affordability and the fact that a lot of households and a lot of people are just in financial hardship What kind of leadership do we need to see from property developers to continue to combat the shortage of affordable housing? A challenging question, but a very good one. There's a couple of things here for me that I think that we need to see. And I think it's really positive to see developers, well, at at least I probably should just talk to Assemble. Assemble has kind of, I feel, taken the position that they are a custodian of the land and of that building for certain amounts of time. So for for Assemble Futures Build to Rent to Own, we almost are custodians of the building for about five years until those those properties are sold or those homes are sold. And for long-term rental, we could be custodians of a site for, you know, up to 70, 60 years. And so what does that look like? What does our position then actually look like as a developer? 
We build the thing and then we operate it. What is our position there and, and what is our responsibility to country as well, um, but also to biodiversity, to the more than human aspects of our environment and then also to sort of humans and people. I think constant questioning of that position is really important for us as a business and um, will keep us kind of moving forward and, and sort of being innovative in the space. Partnerships are really important across all different facets. Community housing partnerships, really good relationships with government partnerships, out of the box people that you, you know, that might support the cost of living. We have built buying partnership with Two Gips of Crap and Seven Seeds Coffee as well. So it's everything on like a micro to a macro kind of scale. I always think that um, teaming up together and, and that we will all be stronger together if we just work together <laughs> more. And then I think really sort of knowledge sharing. So really understanding what's also going on overseas. I think, you know, we don't have a national housing crisis. We have a global housing crisis. And when it comes to climate, of course, we see that affecting housing already. I'm from New Zealand, so we just had you know, the biggest floods that we've potentially ever had in our country and a lot of displacement. And we're really seeing it now is really seeing the consequences and we really need to continue to talk to each other about it and how we can kind of make sure that we're building really resilient buildings that people will be able to live in for generations as opposed to slightly less quality <laughs> housing that doesn't last as long. And what responsibility do we have? Just advocating constantly for, for change to policy to make that a reality. Australia hasn't always been the easiest kind of climate to work in in terms of environmental sustainability. And there's still a lot of policy shifts that need to happen so that we can build more sustainably and with more technology coming in from other places around the world, for example, buildings, wood and th these kinds of things, we need to be a little bit more quicker to adopt uh, new technology. Yeah, I think, yep, definitely holding oneself to account when there's that sense of custodianship, as you said, it really changes the relationship between you know, traditionally, I guess, the landlord, but, you know, it's it's more like you're a caretaker or a facilitator of something rather than it being such a transactional type of exchange, which we often associate property and rent and ownership with these kind of archaic terms in a way. Well, maybe it is evolving, you know, and maybe we are, you know, just by virtue of doing things differently, <laughs> we're sort of shaping how that might look. I think that leading with this idea of custodianship is really interesting. And you know, certainly we're not gonna get it right every time. Certainly there'll be things along the way because that's just what happens when you try something new. But I think it's, it's a really interesting time to be working in housing and I guess challenging the status quo.